Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 12 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I wanted to cover a couple of things before we begin our interview. If you have not visited the Colon Cancer Podcast website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com, perhaps you're listening to the podcast through a mobile device or a tablet, through iTunes or Stitcher, and haven't been directly on the website, I invite you to check out the website. There's some things on there you may find interesting. First is a number of books related to cancer that I highly recommend. Uh, These are books that I personally have read. Some are funny, some are more informational and serious, but each one I know that I enjoyed and I think you would too. There's also a link on the website for a site called audible.com, which provides over 150,000 titles of audiobooks. And I know I remember when I was going through chemotherapy, sitting there for many hours, uh, staring at the TV, I know if I saw one more episode of the Property Brothers on HGTV, I think I was going to scream. So having an audiobook, ebook uh, that you can enjoy and get something from might help pass the time. And on the website, there is a link to audible.com. And if you click on the link, you do get your first audiobook for free. So check that out. Uh, next is if you have not already gone on iTunes, if you are listening through iTunes or through a Mac, and left the review for the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you did. The more reviews that the podcast gets, the more visibility the podcast gets, and that's important. We want to get the word out there and let other people have access to the information and inspirational stories that are shared here. So thank you in advance for both of those things. Our interview this week is with Candice Henley. Candace is from Chicago, and I will tell you that this is so far the most powerful interview that I've had the pleasure of doing. Candace shares her very personal story of the impact that her battle with colon cancer had on her, her life, the depths of despair that it took her to, to the point where she did attempt to even take her own life, and how she bounced back and then became an advocate for others in the fight against colorectal cancer. So please join me for my interview with Candace Henley. Candace, welcome to the show. It's so great to get the chance to speak to you. How are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you so very much. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. So I've got to ask you, I've got to start off with the absolute most important question. Inquiring minds want to know, tell me, as I looked on your Facebook page, it said you're Nickname is Penelope Pitstop, and I grew up loving Wacky Races cartoons when I was a kid, so I got to know, where did Penelope Pitstop come from? <laughs> I was a bus driver for CTA, uh, for which, for, which is the Chicago Transit Authority here in Chicago, and I had a lot of ridership that loved riding with me because I got in downtown and out of downtown. And I was one of those that didn't drag the street. I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Step up on the bus. We have to go. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) 
So I had a huge bus following. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah. I said, oh, wow. My three favorite cartoons, Wacky Races, Roadrunner, and Scooby-Doo. And then I see Penelope Pitstop. I said, oh, I know I like her already. Where I want to start is tell me about Candace before you were diagnosed with cancer. Oh, wow. How long do we have? <laughs> um, let's see. Hit, hit the highlights. Okay. Well, a mother of five children that I birthed and eight, well, a total of eight children, three additional daughters that were neighbor children. And they just became children that I raised in my home because they were always there. And so I treated them just like I treated my children. If they all got in trouble, they all got it. <laughs> and I was a bus driver for Chicago Transit Authority for 15 years had a great life, married, and thought I was, thought I had a great life, thought I was living life. It was coming along and, and uh, wonderful family um, outside of my children, just, a, you know, great family members and uh, just busy, physically active. I was into uh, working out rather heavily. At, at one point I was bodybuilding. So yes, that was Candace before cancer. <laughs> Tell me about when you got the news that you had cancer. Um, it was uh, it was very shocking. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a, a easy road there. Um, it it very it took me up by surprise when I did find out in the emergency room of the hospital, and I was physic. I was very numb when they asked me if I wanted to ask questions, I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't know what to ask. So no, I don't have any questions. And um, they told me that I was going into surgery right there from the, um, they put me in the hospital bed and prepared me for surgery. I never left the hospital. I didn't get the effects of it until after surgery, until after I left the hospital. I see. And you followed up your surgery with chemotherapy? I had radiation. You had radiation, okay. They removed 95% of my colon. The tumor was in the upper right region of my colon, and it was the size of a grapefruit. So they told me that there was a possibility that I may have a colostomy, but they won't know until they go in. And that was definitely something, again, I, well, I, I never knew what colon cancer was. So when they told me that it was colon cancer, I was so confused. I, I just was like, okay, well, if you say it's cancer and you can go in and get it out, okay. So when the surgeon said that was a, that was a possibility, I just said, okay. I, I still, at that point, didn't know what a, a colostomy vac was. I wind up not having to have it temporarily or otherwise and um, just having 95% of my colon removed and trying to live life after that. It was, it was such a struggle. Before you were diagnosed, Candace, were you someone that regularly saw a doctor for checkups and those kinds of things, or not so much? If I had an itch, <laughs> uh, I called my doctor. Oh, absolutely. I was very active and engaged with all my doctors, my gynecologist, my internist, and family physician. Absolutely. So tell me about the transition, and I'm going to use the word that you used in your in your bio, from superwoman, taking care of everybody else, to now you were the one that had to be cared for. What was that like, changing roles for you? 
it was it was very difficult. It was very challenging, and it was it was humbling, but more so it was devastating because here I was the go-to parent, mom, you know, the person that you know other people came to for help with anything, and and I was the one that was readily available to help everybody else, and here I was suddenly not the person I used to be. And it was a hard transition, um, not only physically, but mentally. It was hard for me to even look at myself in the mirror. I think I only have a few photos that I took during that time because I couldn't bear to look at myself. I had gone from relatively 215 to 20 when I went into the hospital to come out or, you know, 50 pounds later. So I was barely 145. If even that, it may have been, may have been a little bit more or less, but I, I immediately after being in the hospital nine, nine days, I was not the size I went in and it was very challenging. And it was challenging for my daughters to see me like this because that was something that they didn't understand. They didn't understand Well, mom, mom's in a hospital and, and she'll be home. And when I came home, I wasn't the mom that they saw going in and to see that look on their faces was devastating to me as well. So I, you know, it was, I tried to make things as uh, best of it as I could, but it, it, it really was a challenge. Mentally, I didn't accept it well. I tried and eventually it caught up to me. When people get the news, the immediate concern obviously is the impact on our physical selves. The part that we don't think about often, and I'd like you to talk about this first, is the emotional, psychological impact. Talk to me about that as it related to your situation. Emotionally, I was unraveling day by day. It was not only physically. I wasn't, again, I, I, was, I was bodybuilding, I was healthy, I was exercising, and I went from being that healthy, muscular, you know, I wasn't overly muscular, but, you know, physically fit woman to looking like a skeleton. You could see my skeletal because I lost so much weight. And the psychological effects of me looking at myself in the mirror helped the deterioration. So I had to stop looking at myself in the mirror. And not only that, I was not prepared for a cancer diagnosis, and I never left the hospital. So not only was I unraveling because of the cancer diagnosis, I was also unraveling because I can't work. Not knowing, you know, what services were available to me, not being able to go to social services because we didn't know. And my mother, you know, exhausted all means that she could trying to find help to help pay bills and to feed the children and to keep my house afloat as well as hers. And it was, it was a challenge for her. And it was a challenge for me to see her try to, you know, help her child go through this and not being able to work and pay the bills. I tried to save my house. So I depleted my 401k um, from work to pay the mortgage on the house. By this time, my husband and I, are no, we're not together anymore. He didn't show up. He never came back. He didn't help. And 
I was just at the mercy of my self and family members that stepped in to try to help. And as time progressed, I tried to hide my depression from family members. I tried to hide it from my children. And eventually it was too much. It was too much because of the cancer and the, you know, losing the house and my car being repossessed because I'm not working and I can't pay the bills. I tried to file bankruptcy and I could afford that. So that didn't work. And so eventually, you know, my husband, again, we, we, we were not in a very good place. And it finally all caught up to me to the point where I wanted to, I couldn't handle my children watching me die because prior to me trying to commit suicide, my doctor's visit was that my life expectancy was three to five years. And my baby girl at the time was four. And the hardest thing for me was to vision my children watching me die. And I didn't want their last vision of me to be this person withering away. So I thought, not being in sound mind, that if I committed suicide, it's an instantaneous death. And to try to spare them from a long emotional that makes sense. <laughs> How did you get through? What was your inspiration to get you through the darkness and come through all this at Candace? Oh my goodness. Um, my mother for one, but I had a nurse in the hospital and she was awesome. I was on suicide watch for 24 hours, five days a week. I was there for a week. And she said to me, who can better tell your story to your children than you? Everybody else is going to tell their versions of your life to them, but it's not going to be yours. So who can better tell them your story better than you? And it made so much sense. And it just frightened me like I never thought about it like that and I felt so guilty and I felt so bad because I had done this I I could have possibly finished it and after she said that and when I got released from the hospital I tried to do the best I could every day to change my focus and change the girl's focus off me being sick and find something that we could do together to kind of smile, you know, brighten up their day. So we would take walks. And one of the things that I read in an article about when you're going through sickness is to try to find something humorous because laughter was good medicine. And that was one of the articles. And I was like, you know what? America's Funniest Home Videos was something that we enjoyed watching. And every Wednesday, religiously, we would sit down and watch America's Funniest Home Videos. And it may sound corny, but 
it was something that we did together that didn't cost any money because I didn't have any. And, but it was something that we enjoyed together. And when I laughed, they laughed. And it was almost as if they were watching me to see if this is a good thing. Should we laugh? You know, is this okay to do? And the more we did it, you know, it just, it just took off from there. The better we got. That was your thing. That was my thing. I love it. I love it. You know, that that's very personal and, and I really appreciate you you sharing that that part of your story. And now you're recognized for the month of March by the Colon Cancer Alliance as their hero of the month. What was your reaction when you got that news? I was excited and shocked and very appreciative and very humble. I'm very humbled by it. And emotional. <laughs> Because I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just doing what I can to give back. Tell, tell me about that. Tell me about the advocacy work that you've been doing. Well, my advocacy work came from trying to find a way to help others. And I was so, I was in, in deep prayer and meditation and asking God to, I just want to make, I just want to see my baby make it to 18. And if I see my baby make it to 18, I will do everything I could to raise awareness and save somebody else's life. Now, I know that, you know, God doesn't do prayers like that, but that was what I had. That was, I just wanted to be like, listen, I just want to, I just want to live. I want to see her get 18. Once she crosses over 18, because who's going to take care of these babies? I have five of them. (laughs) (laughs) gonna take care my mother already said she's like look now you have to be here to take care of these kids because i'm i can't do it (laughs) (laughs) and one day i was i was laying in in the bed and and i have some great family members because they would come over and lay in the bed with me and watch tv just in attempt to keep my spirits up so i always had someone over at the house you know helping me and trying to get me you know just to stay on a you know on a happy on a happy plane and we were watching a documentary about the Red Hat Society, and I thought that was so fabulous. Now, what they actually do, I really don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to see that, something like that, but on a scale, but blue hats. And, you know, and it seemed corny at the time, and we laughed about it, and it was like, that was like 2007. And we laughed about it. I said, that would just be so great. But that thought never left me. It never stopped. It was just something I was like, you know what? And every year from from that point on, I kept saying, okay, we're going to put it together. We're going to do blue hats. And it just seemed like something every March, something happened where we just didn't get it together. And then finally, in 2010, I was like, look, we're just going to get together. We're going to find some blue hats and we're just going to wear blue hats. And, And it was just my, it was just my, you know, my immediate family. And they were like, okay. And we sat up you know, in the balcony of church and we had our blue hats on and, you know, blue, blue outfits, you know, and my pastor, you know, looked up at the balcony and was like, okay, we have the blue hat society visiting church. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, and you know, but no one knew why we had the blue hats on. So it piqued curiosity because my pastor mentioned it. And so then the following year we had a little bit more, you know, more, um, participation from members of the church that were, you know, there were close friends. And 
during that time, that second year, um, the Trayvon Martin incident happened. So we kind of got a little overshadowed by that because our church is a very progressive church. And so we were supporting, you know, the cause for, you know, wearing the hoodies and the Skittles. So we were very supportive. So we kind of got lost in the shuttle, you know, the shuffle of that. But we still had on our blue hats and we still had our blue outfits. And again, like I said, it was just a few of us. And but by the third year, we had full on participation. And just because people were trying to understand, why are you wearing those blue hats? And my family members became educated about it. And I said, well, she's a colon cancer survivor and we're wearing blue hats because she's a colon cancer survivor. And March is colon cancer awareness. And to hear that and to see people's responses from it was like, oh my God, praise God. That's awesome. And it became fantastic because we had a church full of 8,000 people wear blue, blue hats, blue socks, blue, blue shoes, blue ties, just because we started something and it piqued curiosity. And we did our fifth year this year and we have moved on to other churches and we're looking forward to going national. Now we're national on Facebook because we have friends all across the U.S. participating in Blue Hat Sunday because I posted on Facebook and I invite people to wear blue hats and to send us their pictures so that we can post it and share them wearing their blue hats. And it's absolutely phenomenal and I'm so humbled by it. One person can really make a difference, huh? You know what? Yeah, but it it wasn't by myself. It was my my family has been so supportive and so wonderful in and even stepping into the shoes of advocacy, you know, on the side with me. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do half the things I did if I didn't have the support of family and friends. I mean, they, they totally supported. They are 100% in. They're like, okay, what can we do now? <laughs> <laughs> Candace, if you were to write your book, your autobiography, what would the title be? Hmm, from Storms to Blue Hats. Storms to Blue Hats. Excellent. That's really great. I love that. You may want to write that down. You may want to use that someday. I may, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? And I think it would pique curiosity because they would try to understand uh, what does storms and hats have to do with each other? <laughs> <laughs> well, that being said, let me follow up that question with if the Candace before cancer could see the Candace today, what would she say? I never would have mad imagined you would be this humble. I never would have imagined that I would be this open and this unashamed. Thank you for sharing that. My last question, I ask it to everybody I speak to, Candace, is this. Someone is listening to our podcast. They themselves or someone they care for deeply recently got their word that they have colon cancer. What message, having been through what you've been through, would you share with them? I would say that 
colon cancer now compared to when I was diagnosed. It's not necessarily a death sentence. It's not an immediate death. The walk is challenging. But the way that you get through challenges is by getting up every day and taking a step. No matter how small it is, no matter what the weather is, if you get up and take one step every day, you can eventually turn around and see the distance that you've made. If you continue walking, you will see that the pain eventually subsides and that you can change it so that it will benefit you and give you fuel to now climb the mountain. And the mountain is the rest of your life because we have no idea what's on the other side. The only way to find out is to keep walking. It cannot be more important to the family members and friends that you survive. It has to be important to you. If it is important to you, keep walking. Candace, thank you so much for sharing not just those words of wisdom, but your powerful story and spending the time and sharing it. I know there's people out there that will approach their battle with the disease in a whole new light, having heard your story. Thank you again. And I will tell you, as I tell all my guests, be well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.